Night gathers, and now my rewatch begins. Welcome to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I'm Ross Bolin here at the Grand X Media Studios that are now... It's, it's Micah's pool house. We're not in the Grand X Media Studios. Coming at you live from the pool house. With Barrett Dudley. That's me. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're between offices. For those of you who listen to other Grand X Network podcasts, you may be familiar with this problem already. But we're between offices. We got a few weeks here where we're working remotely. And this, this, for this episode, we are recording from producer Micah's pool house. Pool house. Yeah, so we have all these pool house sound effects that we're going to blast throughout the episode. Not really. Mostly, just, hopefully, just a high porn. That was. Let's, that, just, let's just high porn up Micah's pool house. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, this is the night's rewatch. We're doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with season one, episode one, leading up to the final season of our favorite show, so we can all be as prepared as possible. Take the black and join us. Recruit your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors. Tell them to jump on the oysters, clams, and cockles bandwagon with you. Join in on the night's rewatch. Uh, our hotline number is eight six six four three clams. You can call it with clam fam corrections, theories, questions. We check the hotline every week. We've got a ton of calls backlogged. Unfortunately, as a result of the chaos that has ensued with this office situation, we're not playing any calls this episode, but we will, I assure you, one day soon. Just, uh, you know, and if, if you're hearing about this for the first time or if your friends are talking about it or if you're out there and you want to recruit, just just jump in right here. Just yeah. season three, episode four. It doesn't really matter. You haven't missed all that much. You've missed a lot, but but not like... It's okay to just jump in right here. Basically, if you're not willing to go back and watch from season one, episode one, and listen to every podcast, like that's understandable. It is a very big time commitment that only the best of us can yeah. do. Just get in right here. Get in right here. There's no reason you can't just start right here. The subway is making a stop at the station. We're opening up the doors, and you you get on. You get on it, and you'll 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 be on it for the for the rest of the ride. Exactly. <laughs> this is a subway now. We're a subway. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. Season three, episode four, titled, And Now His Watch Is Ended, written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by Alex Graves. We start out on the road with Jamie and Brienne. The, the episode opens on Jamie's hand, which he is now wearing around his neck like a necklace because, as we saw, it was removed from his arm at the end of last episode it's now we have two characters wearing things that used to be attached to their bodies around mm-hmm. their necks I, jamie yeah. in a in the hand and davos with his little fingers in his in his little finger sack yeah uh one of the men in the bolton crew heckles jamie by asking how many of those fingers do you think we could shove up his ass talk about kicking a man while he's down these guys are not nice people no no not at all Jamie falls off his horse, presumably because he's weak from blood loss and the... I don't know how they... Is it cauterized, cauterized the They're supposed to, yeah. Perhaps they got a burning sword and like pressed it against it or something. They had to do something he to pre- stop the blood yeah, loss. Yeah, otherwise he'd be dead. Or he'd be dead. But yeah. it, regardless, he is very weak, yeah. both of body and mind yes. at this point. And he falls from his, his horse, plops his face into the mud. This is like rock bottom for Jamie uh, for the next... At least couple episodes, he is all the way at rock bottom. This, this, I mean, this whole scene here, like, it's just, yeah. I think on this on this rewatch here, 
it's really, really noticeable, like just how humiliating and how humbling like this has to be for him. Yeah, and I mean, it's some, like, it's something that you pick up the first watch through. But I am with you. I, it is all the more apparent watching it again, like how much of an effect because you we doing the rewatch in the time frame that we've done it so mm-hmm, far, mm-hmm. in the, the speed of which we've watched these three seasons so far, you get to see peak cocky Jamie and then this Jamie a lot closer together than we did right, when right. those seasons were released in yeah, order. Yeah, very true, very true. So the downfall is even more Yeah, it's shocking. even more apparent. And, I mean, this guy absolutely never thought that he would be in a position like this, you know? that's I, I think that's why it's so uh, such a shock for him. Like, dying on the battlefield, maybe. Dying protecting a king, maybe. Uh, losing some type of duel, like, maybe. But just the fact that he is prisoner, had his sword hand chopped off, is being humiliated, is, I mean, it's just like, was, it, it, it's just everything has gone seriously awry for for him. Yeah, it's it's not good. And to make matters worse, he, he, he needs some water. Well, he doesn't get any water. It's, it's, Locke gives him something to drink and Jamie chugs it and it turns out it's horse piss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate it when that happens. Come on. Horse, who stores horse piss in a jug? He did this, he stored horse urine just to get Jamie to drink it at some point. Yeah. It's like Mm -hmm. he saw one of his horses taking a piss and he was like, you know what? I got an idea. (laughs) And he filled up a canister and he was like, we'll fucking give it to Jamie when he's thirsty. And his buddy was like, oh man, it's going to be great. Uh, Yeah, yeah. We got Don Vito to drink horse piss. It's kind of, and it's also kind of like the thing when you like when you think that, or or how about when you pick up a beer bottle and then oh. it's accidentally dip spit, or it's somebody's spit or, or a water around. bottle that you filled with vodka and forgot There's, about yeah. because you're a raging alcoholic mm-hmm. and or a college student. Yeah, yeah, any yeah. of those things. It just it, even if it's even if you like think you're sipping water and you accidentally accidentally grab your iced tea, man, it's like a jolt. Shocking. Yeah. So Jamie, uh, these guys are helping him up. He pulls a sword off one of them. And it puts up a bit of a... He obviously doesn't have a sword hand anymore, so he puts up as much of a fight as he can. But it's he's not swift, much. Swiftly kicked back into the mud, and Locke threatens to take his other hand if he ever does that again. It's all very depressing and dark and sad for Jamie. And Brienne just watches on kind of like in horror, like, I cannot believe the way this is all going down. We jump over to Bran... Who, hey, shocker, he's dreaming again and chasing the three-eyed raven and climbing after it. And this time, his mother, Catelyn, is in the dream. She comes out of nowhere and is like yelling at him, no more climbing, promise me, Bran, promise me, whatever, and causes him to fall just as he did in Winterfell. Which is weird. Like, it made me wonder if there was like some symbolism to the way that Catelyn has kind of made the entire Stark family fall or go off course or what I don't know it it felt like there was some deeper meaning to it yeah this this episode in particular it had some really really great moments and then it also had a few that reminded me a little bit of like why there were some knocks on season three especially in hindsight the the path that we take with Theon and with Bran this season they're kind of it's not it's not the best stuff in the series no it's uh it feels like very long drawn out 
for all for, for not much all for not yeah like there's not a lot that comes as a result of it yeah. and i do remember that being the chief complaint with this season when it was on the air is that uh, those two storylines were kind of like like we go like we get the point we go through this whole thing with bran and mira and jojen and by the way and then they just disappear for a season i think the next one season four right which doesn't help matters which doesn't help so it's like I, you know on this i'm not caring super hard about this stuff in yeah. the, in the, in in the uh in this season right now out of everything we were watching unfold i would say that Without any competition, the brand storyline is the part where I zone out the most. Yeah, for sure. Because I don't care. And I mean, you're and you're right. Like it's like like you're doing the right thing, which is trying to figure out or speculate what could the uh, what what is cat being up in that tree mean? Right. You know, like that's. But they but they don't they don't do enough to give you like those morsels like to make it matter. Yeah. 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 The only other thing we get out of that scene is that Jojen watches Brand sleep. Which is creepy. But Jojen's a creepy dude. Mm. And hey, you know what? The better at green seeing Bran gets, the creepier he gets. It's just something that comes with the territory. Over in King's Landing, Varys and Tyrion meet in a room with a box in it that Varys is working very hard to open while he gives Tyrion the background of how he lost his private parts, which I might add, root and stem. Root and stem. Uh, now, I, that, okay, yeah. He There's has nothing down there. No testicles and no penis. Right. Yeah. Now, the question obviously becomes, how does he urinate? And I don't know the answer. But he has to have something. Maybe it's a catheter tube of some kind. Maybe it's some, somehow the man has to dispense of urine like all the other humans. I think it's just like, it'd basically be like... I don't... What, whatever you're imagining, I don't want to know. <laughs> like, I don't want to know. But every, we'll leave that to everyone can do it on their own, you know? Whatever you want to think is down there... Uh, that's on you. But this, he tells a story about how he lost his root and stem to this wizard or warlock that was uh, that used his bits and pieces in some kind of dark magic ceremony, mm-hmm. which sounds just awful. Yeah. He says he still dreams of that night, not of the sorcerer, not of his blade, but of the voice that he heard come from the flames when this warlock or wizard or whatever threw his dick and balls into this fire. (laughs) And this all paints up something very important from season seven, which is why he hates magic so much. Yeah, and ever since, I've always hated magic. And anyone who practices it. This was was a great, uh, this is a good scene with good acting between the two of them. It's also very expository and a little bit on the nose for like, like, this whole scene is just so Varys can tell us about this sorcerer dude and then be like, and that's why I hate magic. Yes. Like it's, you know, it's just... On the nose is a good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, it's like very much like just the tutorial of why... Yeah, but hard not to enjoy a scene with Varys but yeah, and Tyrion. But both of them are... Both of them are such good actors and play these roles so well that it's it's enjoyable. It, it almost is as if Tyrion is reacting to how on the nose it is with some of his facial expressions. Yeah. Like he's yeah. kind of like, dude, this is insane <laughs> and very weird. But uh, nonetheless, Varys then gets into how he sold himself, became a thief. This is all after having his privates cut off. How he worked his way all the way to the small council. This part is the, what's so good about it. The whole the whole thing about how influence grows like a weed, and, yes. and how his tendrils, how he's you know manicured his and and cared for and maintained his influence, and now his tendrils spread across the sea. 
Yes, and that's how he got this yeah. wizard. Speaking of wizard man, is his mouth sewn shut, it or is. does he just have something stuffed in there, I, like a bunch okay, of like so like a bunch of like grass and straw? It's hard to tell at first if he's just been gagged or if it's sewn shut. But it appear I paused it on there, and it yeah. appears to be sewn shut, which okay. is pretty gnarly. Yeah. Also, I don't know how he would have survived the trip, but these aren't questions for me to answer. No. I mean, it's something you. I'm pretty sure something messed up's going on. Obviously there, but it, it, not that it matters. I was just m- more curious. The only other thing that this harkens to is the fact that Varys is very familiar with getting people to travel in boxes, which he does with Tyrion later. That's true. He that's ships true. him in this exact same <laughs> manner uh, across the Narrow Sea back the other direction, and Varys travels with him. But uh, anyway, Tyrion's purpose in this scene is he's trying to get Varys to help him get proof that Cersei tried to have him killed. And the general takeaway is summed up with this various line. I have no doubt the revenge you want will be yours in time if you have the stomach for it, implying he has achieved his revenge on this warlock wizard person, but mm-hmm. he had to go through a lot of shit to do it. Yep. And it kind of wraps up the whole scene into one singular line there. Over in Craster's Keep, Sam is trying to talk to Gilly uh and being kind of annoying, he's kind of like overstepping his bounds a little, if you will, or like, I don't know what, he, he just says his natural, he's just drawn to Gilly. Yeah, and she reads that shit and is like, look, dude, I don't have time for this like terrible attempt at flirtation here. Like, yeah. either help me or get out. Yeah, she says, I don't want your stupid thimble. I want to save my <laughs> baby's life. Can yeah. you do that? And you know, she has a point. Right. And I don't even know what the meaning behind the the thimble was. I don't even. It remember. was just like his, a his mom, nice gesture. His mom gave it to him mom, or some yeah, shit. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Anyway, Gilly. This is the beginning of seeing Gilly as this strong female character who's very much not an idiot, yeah. and uh, regardless of her circumstances, is is trying to get into a better position, and she needs Sam's help. In King's Landing, my favorite scene of the episode. This is. was there was there was also I just wanted to note oh, here yeah. that that out there they're all talking about how mostly the Night's Watch is just shoveling. Oh, this was the best. Sh- just shoveling shit. And yes. when, if, either you're attempting to not be killed, and when you're not doing that, you're shoveling. And Rast, man, he is just you know what he's got. He's got seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, he's got sad. He needs the sunshine. Yeah, because they because they're north of the wall, and it's just really. <laughs> <laughs> grinding their gears up there, man. And that's what... It happens to all of us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm in the midst of it. You have to appreciate yeah. this. Thank though. God we got some sun today here in the in Central thank, Texas, thank man, because I was, I was feeling like Rast. It's, uh, it's, fu- it's good of the show to poke fun at itself <laughs> by talking about how if you're not fighting, they're shoveling because there are so many scenes yeah. where they're mindlessly shoveling, especially in this season so far. Yeah. We've seen them shoveling at the Fist of the First Men. They're shoveling it back at Castle Black. They're shoveling wherever they are. <laughs> oh, at Craster's Keep. Uh, anyway, yeah. So back to my favorite scene. Roz is talking with Varys in King's Landing about Podrick. It, we find out. Varys starts with... Is he very large? Roz says, no larger than usual, apparently. Varys says, and yet they said that he was, Roz says, extraordinary. The most extraordinary man they've ever had. And they've had a lot of men. And Varys is shocked by this. He says, we're talking about the same Podrick. The quiet boy in Lord Tyrion's service. Seems a bit simple. 
What did he do to them? The question everybody wants to know the answer to. And Roz says, I don't know, my lord. The girls are usually quite descriptive. But they said it was hard to describe. And Varys says, huh. Prodigies appear in the oddest of places. He just, you know, what he's got is the Kavorka. It's much like Kramer from Seinfeld. Doesn't the Kavorka travel in a jacket? No, the Kavorka, you just either have the Kavorka or you don't. Oh, okay. It's just like a, it's like a, it's just like a bodily aura that makes you desirable well, and irresistible to the opposite sex. But it's a step further than that, because the Kavorka is just about being desirable. Pod is a, this is a performance metric true, he's true. doing with you. Yeah. But I feel like, okay, I guess what I'm saying is that I, I think he's just, I think he's just giving him that good D. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's absolutely what it is. I don't think there was anything well said, particular that he was doing. I don't think he was like pulling out like you know. He's just got the, the magic stick. The, yeah, yeah. It's not like he was doing triple lutzes in there. No, absolutely not. Which is why you know. I mean, what this is 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 it's it's George R. R. Martin writing in something <laughs> for dudes with normal dicks. That's that's what it is. <laughs> like if Podrick can do it, so can you. You know? Yeah. yeah. There's you nothing you special don't have about to be, this guy. You don't have to be packing a hog <laughs> to make some magic. <laughs> to ma- yeah. To, yeah. No larger than usual, apparently. Yeah. Oh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Roz tells Varys that she, she's working as a rat at this point for Varys. She's under the employ of Littlefinger, but feeding Varys information, as we know, and she's telling Varys all of Littlefinger's plans to go to the Vale, to woo Lady Aaron. Uh, Varys wants to know if that's all it took to distract him from Sansa Stark, the potential title that comes with wooing Lady Aaron. And Roz does not believe that to be the case. Shows him the inventory list from Lord Tyr- or Littlefinger's ship, which has two feather beds. Count them. One, two, which apparently that's all it takes to be revealing enough to these two that uh, he intends on taking Sansa with him when he leaves. Varys asks if Littlefinger could be bringing one of his other girls. Roz says no, he's not interested in them, which is an important takeaway. If we didn't already know that about Littlefinger, that it's confirmed that he doesn't, you know, I guess, uh, what's the drug dealer saying? Don't get high on your own supply. He does not get high on his own supply. He does not. No. And uh, Roz says she knows this because she's one of his girls. Right. Also, she said inventory. Inventory. Here's the ship's inventory. Never yeah. heard it. I never no, heard it's that. It's just one. inventory. She's I'm, just she's trying to sound too medieval. I know there's some some Britishisms out there. You Is know? that one of them? I, but I don't. I've never heard that one. Hmm. You know, schedule, schedule, garage. That's, I love schedule. <laughs> that makes me feel smart <laughs> to say it like that. But inventory is not one that I'd heard before. Let's say it that way from now on. Inventory. Inventory. It sounds like you're inventing something. It's the place where you invent things. Is the inventory. The, your inventory. That's true. Yes. Yeah, I've heard that. Elsewhere in King's Landing, Joffrey is giving Marjorie a tour of the Sept and giddily showing her where all the remains of different people are because he's peeking as a psychopath. Yes. <laughs> this is this is a very funny scene. Dude loves him some death. Loves just chatting about the ins and outs of, of who died in what grisly fashion. Yes. Yeah. He's a sicko. <laughs> He's truly sick. And it's so fun watching Marjorie uh, act along. 
yeah. like she enjoys it all too. She likes smiling and shit about these things that she very clearly does not. She is not a psycho like he is. Totally different kind of person. Man, she she was so good. She was so good. Um, she got Joff in the palm of her hand, man. He is falling hard in these scenes. Even as much credit as I feel like Marjorie as a character received, I still don't feel like it was enough. Mostly it's, well, at least from a male perspective, guys like to talk up how hot she was, but she was a fantastic character with a lot of depth and a lot of different things going on and just doesn't get enough credit. Really the Barry Sanders of Game of Thrones. Yeah, she was just playing every game. Yeah, came in, had like 5,000-yard seasons and then just retired too soon. Fizzled out too early. Yeah. It happens. Uh, the the contrast of this scene, of course, is that Cersei and Elena Tyrell are walking and talking together. This is all marriage plans going on here. They're they're touring a, the sept for you know planning this marriage between Marjorie and Joffrey. And it is mentioned because Elena asks if Robert's ashes are there, and she says no. Robert's ashes were taken to Storm's End. That's where he wanted them, which is just kind of a cool little fact. Then we hear a bit of yelling. There's some commotion outside of the sept. And Marjorie convinces Joffrey to go outside and see this massive crowd waiting for them up. You have to think of it like if the king and queen of England were to go to somewhere public, a crowd would gather outside having known they were there or whatever, right? Yeah. It's the same kind of deal. And there's like security. Marjorie and Joffrey go out there. Watching Joffrey attempt to act normal and waved this crowd was also very funny. Marjorie's like a natural social person, like waving. And he, Joffrey like looks at her and kind of smiles like, I can try to do that. And like pick one hand up and starts waving. He just looks ridiculous. Um, King Joffrey, we love you. We yeah. love you. Hail King Joffrey. Apparently this is all it takes. You just, all you need to do is walk outside and... And let these people look at you for a second. Yeah, I think. I yeah, I think the kind of the implication there is that like Marjorie had been doing a lot of the goodwill. Oh yeah, and, and it's so, rubbed off. It so is, it's rubbed off. It yeah. has worked wonders for, for his yes, image as well. Yeah, absolutely. And this is all very concerning to Cersei. Yeah, not only from this is like a dual issue now, because in her opinion, Marjorie's putting Joffrey in danger by exposing him to these insane peasants, as she would see them. And also gaining more and more control over him as their relationship grows. Well, and Cersei doesn't believe in this style of rule either. Not at all. Like, she basically doesn't... Well, nobody matters to her outside of her family, first and foremost. Right. But then also, you know, I think she's a firm believer in the fact that the only way to rule is to instill fear, not love. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Then we head over to Theon in this... Undisclosed location, riding through the woods with his mysterious savior uh, toward Deepwood Mott. And the stranger tells Theon that his sister is waiting for him there. This, to, to discuss it in, with the knowledge that we already have, this being Ramsay Bolton. Uh, he has the most elaborate story about growing up on salt cliffs, which I have to assume is one of the <laughs> islands in the Iron Islands, mm-hmm. uh, about only being a boy when they took Theon away, but them go- him and his father going to the balcony so they could watch his ship. Uh, the the This whole ruse, no pun intended, is totally ridiculous. It, it, he takes it to these crazy heights, like unnecessary heights, the amount of detail he has 
on this backstory just to screw with Theon. Yeah. Yep. He leads him through this sewer all the while Theon bitches more and more about how he can never be a Stark. And the question that I think everyone watching this scene would have in is how is he not recognizing that this is Winterfell? Where they're going. Not that it's Winterfell, but where they're like that they're headed back to where they came from, as we find out. Yeah, yeah. That that's what I mean. You would, yeah. That's a good point. You would think that he would know. This man has no sense of direction. I guess not. And the only excuse here could be that he's so distracted because he's so up in his head about how he could never be a Stark. Yeah. Uh, That's the only reasonable explanation. He tells this mysterious man that he murdered those boys, not the Stark boys, that he never found them, but that he lets Dagmer slit the throats of some poor orphan boys living with a farmer, and he let them burn the bodies so that he could keep Winterfell and make his father proud. Now, that's a pretty... uh, That, it seems like... I can't remember how this plays plays itself out, but... This is Ramsey learning that is important. Very much so. Right. Because he passes that in, I believe, if I remember correctly, he passes that information back to Ruse, his his father, who yeah. gives it to Rob. Okay. Okay. Now, like you, I also do not remember exactly how this plays out. But obviously it's important. You see Ramsey and his genius acting react yeah. to the way that Theon gives him this. Yeah, I mean I either yeah, either he passes this along and the Starks, the Stark camp in the north at, at large gets to learn that the two young Stark boys are still alive and still out there, which is good for everybody and good for morale. Simultaneously, I know that later he knows that those kids are still out there and are a threat uh, to... Yeah, and you know what? The, now that the, we're talking the, about the it... The title of Lord of Winter. I don't think Rob... Ever finds out that okay. they're alive. Huh. So it might just be more about Ramsey getting information than yeah. anything else. Maybe so. Theon goes so far as to say, quote, My real father lost his head at King's Landing. I made a choice and I chose wrong, and now I've burned everything down. So oh. this is kind of the realization for him. Him sitting down there in that sewer, making their way into where he just came from. You it, really did it, Theon. It really hits him, though. Yeah. Like, this is it. He's finally realizing, like, this is no more talk of, like, I'll make you a prince in the Iron Islands for this. Yeah. He's admitting to his uh, enormous mistakes here. Why Why this is the moment he chooses to open up, he chooses to open up, I don't really know. Uh, why Ramsay is going to these great lengths to fuck with Theon for lack of a better term, I don't really know, but he does get information out of it. He does, yeah. That's the only mm-hmm. thing that you can that I can really surmise. I mean, the the it's all part of the I think what we're kind of supposed to get and one thing that we we'll, we we'll probably get on this rewatch is a little bit better of an understanding of how Theon goes from Theon to Reek. Yeah. Like the, he the, he broke this dude's brain down in so many different ways and fa- absolutely fashions. Because a lot, because you know, a lot of things that Reek does, you're just like, oh, for fuck's sake, like really, like, you know what I mean? You're that broken. You're that bro- right, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, the thing you have to remember here, and it's the one excuse for the Theon storyline, like we just discussed. There's brands and there's Theons that people are kind of like, okay, what's the deal here? This whole season for Theon is about turning into Reek. And how he's broken. And they had to do it in a way that tried to at least give it some justice. Because in the books, it is a very long, 
very drawn out, <laughs> very brutal process. Yeah, even okay. in comparison to the into the show, because they don't have time to spend the amount of time that Ramsey yeah. did breaking this guy down. So yeah. they're doing the best they can, and they do a pretty fucking good job considering. Yeah. Um, so this mystery savior leads Theon into a dark room, lights a torch, and oh my god. He's back in the torture chamber that he helped him escape from. And this guy says, I brought him back. He killed the others. Put him back where he belongs. And then he gets. we get the first Ramsey Bolton smile out of mm-hmm. it. Just that like pure evil. He almost looks like Gollum from Lord <laughs> of the Rings. And it's just like, oh my God, dude. It almost gave me like PTSD. And we bounce over to the road with one-handed Jamie and Brienne. Jamie's still riding this horse barely sitting up, hand around his neck, and uh, he tells Brienne that he's dying. That he lost, he says, that he lost his sword hand. He says, I was that hand. So obviously his whole identity was tied up in it in being the best sword fighter in Westeros in in all this. And uh, Brienne really calls him out here. She basically calls him a pussy for giving up, said, you have, you have a taste, one taste of the real world where people have important things taken from them, and you whine and cry and quit. You sound like a bloody woman. And this, for me, this scene was the beginning of where Jamie and Brienne's relationship is really forged, because she keeps him going, and kind of becomes his accountability, like, she is his strength. His she, accountability, buddy. Absolutely. Buddy! <laughs> She's, uh... Really leveling with him here, like giving him, as as Stannis would put it, hard truths. Yeah, yeah. And he starts eating as a result. Like he listens to her. But it also comes up that, uh, you know, basically Jamie lost that hand for Brienne by spinning that tail of the Sapphire Isle. And Brienne is in acknowledgement of that. Her view of Jamie has changed. Seeing it, she's seeing a different side of him now. As a result of what he did for her. Yeah. And she wants to know why he helped her, but she doesn't really get an answer here. Definitely a turning point in the uh, Jamie Brienne buddy cop saga. Yes, yes. Uh, it's all starting to matter a lot now. There's a lot of weight to it. In King's Landing, Cersei meets with Tywin to make sure that they're doing everything they can to get Jamie back which Tywin, anytime somebody questions Tywin, he lets you know just how little he appreciates it, and he's basically sums it up to say, you saw I started a war to get Tyrion back, in so many words. He says some much meaner mm-hmm. things that I won't repeat. But uh, So he says, what, what do you think I would do to get my eldest son back? Whatever I can. And Cersei stays longer than than Tywin is comfortable with, to tell him that she is the one who deserves his respect and trust, not Jamie and Tyrion. She asks, like, why haven't you ever considered this? Like, that I might be the one who's supposed to carry on your legacy after you're gone. She wants that respect from her dad. Mm. And as we know, she's very correct. Yeah. She is the one who carries the family and and is the, stays the one true Lannister through it all. Yeah. Uh... But he doesn't, he just, for whatever reason, he even says, it's not because you're a woman. I don't distrust you because you're a woman. I distrust you because you're not as smart as you think you are. You've allowed that boy to ride roughshed all over you and everyone else in this city, talking about Joffrey. Yep. Um, And he has a point, too. She's been a terrible mom, 
and yeah. Queen yeah, Mother, oh, yeah. whatever her Queen Regent, Queen whatever Regent. her title is. She's awful. Very bad. At keeping Joffrey in check. Keep the dogs on a leash, man. And it's unfortunate because if not for that, Tywin might have seen in her the the very the ability that she does have that her two brothers do not. What does she mean here when she's like, why don't you try to stop him from doing what he wants? Is that like a challenge? I think she's saying, look, there is no controlling this kid. You, like, like you good see, luck. Yeah, see what you, yeah. And he's, she says, perhaps you should, try, you should try stopping him from doing what he likes. And Tywin says, I will. So he's very much up to the yeah, challenge. Yeah. And I don't remember what comes of this. Uh, me either. But I'm looking forward to it. Me too. A little grandpa uh, obedience. Yeah. You know? I'm going to spank him. Yeah. Um, I think, could be wrong here, I think these are the letters. What do you mean? I think I think this is I think he's orchestrating. Oh, when he, what he's writing while she's in the office. Yeah, I think these are the the letters. Now, I'm glad you said that because when he was laying out the comparison between Tyrion and Jaime, and if he would start a war mm-hmm. for ja- for Tyrion, then what do you think he would do for Jaime? Yeah, the first thing that popped into my head was, well, we know what he does. We know what he does as a result of all this, and it's kind of in part like. He doesn't know Jamie is in the situation Jamie is in. Right. 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 So all he's thinking still is how do I wipe out Rob Stark and his family? Yeah. And we know what he comes up with. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that you're exactly right. That this is him at a desk working on the potential solution, kind of frustratingly expressing to Cersei, like, I would do literally anything. Crossing all moral boundaries, codes, laws of men, gods, whatever. When he's so and he's so chill about the whole thing, like he has it under yeah, control. It's like I got this. Like he's already thought up the, yeah. the solution. The wheels are in motion. Yeah, I'm with you. We bounce over to the garden where the Queen of Roses. Uh, what's your, is that? What she's called? The Queen of Thorns. Queen of Thorns. Queen of Thorns. Olena Tyrell is hanging out, and like two of her grandchildren are trying to keep her company and one of them made her like a little rose she like sewed or something she is just she's she's uh she's just on fire here right here right oh right my here. god just, just churning out the one-liners just the writer for olena should have won something by themselves <laughs> so many good lines just man. 100 per mile hour serves right here just right across the court she's just bashing her own nobody can return these things she's ripping her own house their symbol their (laughs) words like anybody can be destroyed by this woman at this point yeah um varus approaches and drops some like dripping with bullshit line and then she starts to destroy him oh yeah asks him if he's trying to seduce her and then my favorite line she gives what happens when the non-existent (laughs) bumps against the decrepit (laughs) A question for yeah. the philosophers. A question for the philosophers. This was a fantastic line. He kind of looks down at where his junk used to be mm-hmm. yep. when she says what happens when the non-existent pumps against the decrepit is almost as like he's in disbelief at how good some of her lines are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is two heavyweights here and they're both, Oh uh, yeah. they're both just kind of like doing what they do best. Him with his veiled, all of his veiled references and, and, uh, Bullshit sweet Bull, talking. Right, and, and her just, you know, just cranking out these fire uh, lines. And in order to be truly funny, you have to be self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. And she knows that. She calls herself decrepit. That's her vagina she's referring to. <laughs> you know? That's intense. She's a funny woman. 
so various and Elena talk in uh, great lengths here about Sansa because Varys wants to keep her safe and is worried about Littlefinger's interest in her. He even goes so far as to say, Littlefinger is one of the most dangerous men in Westeros. If Rob Stark falls, Sansa Stark is the key to the North. Varys is trying to stay ahead of the ball here. He sees how valuable of a piece in the game Sansa is, and he does not want that piece to fall into Littlefinger's hands, knowing how dangerous Littlefinger is. This is this is early early signs that Varys is telling the truth in season seven. I would say that that he really he really does consider himself a protector of the realm. He serves the realm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the way this unfolds is really interesting. I mean, he's just he thinks he knows that Littlefinger would be a terrible leader. That all he wants is the power, and as he says, that he would happily let it all burn if he got to be king of the ashes yeah that's a sick line she accuses Varys of like despising Littlefinger because he's working so hard to undermine him Mm -hmm. as she puts it and he says actually I rather enjoy him but he would see this country burn if he could be king of the ashes Uh, which tells you a lot about both of those men yeah and their mutual respect and admiration that they have for each other as schemers but at the end of the day like Varys doesn't want this dude who he knows would watch it all burn gain any more power so, as a result of this conversation, you would have to think, immediately, time is flying fast, Marjorie approaches Sansa, and they make small talk, and then Marjorie says that Sansa must see Highgarden, and she's, like, building up this conversation again. Marjorie's very, very, very good at all of this. And uh, talks about how once she marries Joffrey, she'll be queen, and that if Sansa should marry Loris... So, this whole this whole stage is set now. I love this scene, too. Um, man, really, really good acting from Sophie Turner here as Sansa. When Marjorie tells her that, like, basically puts that idea in her head that she could possi- could potentially marry Loras and like get to go away and live in Highgarden. Right. The face that Sansa makes, I mean, is just it is it's so good. It's so so well done. You can like see that she would. I give absolutely anything for this to be her, like how like how things turn out. The note I'm, I made a like note the, on the exact the sun, same the, thing. Yeah, like this the this the show of relief in her face. Like if that were to happen, my, it was crushing because we know that it doesn't. My note but, was Sansa nearly bursts into tears. She's so happy. It's sad <laughs> because yeah. we know what happens and none of this plays out. And it was so gut wrenching to watch how. <sighs> That was the best acting we have seen from Sophie Turner thus oh, it far. Was, yeah, it was really, really good. And I just liked Sansa and Marjorie just, you know, sissing it up. Yeah, it really made me wish that we got more time for them to, like, actually become besties mm-hmm. and really mm-hmm. do this whole thing. Yeah. Because I like them both so much. Yeah. Or, like, maybe we could just, you know, get, like, a CW spinoff, basically like a reboot of Sister Sister, but it's with Marjorie and Sansa. Yeah. <laughs> In High Garden. Yeah. Yeah. Back at Craster's Keep, the Night's Watch is still kicking it because apparently they have nowhere else to go. Every time this, this one in particular, when we flash back to Craster's Keep, I was like, oh my God, why are you still, why are you still there? Like, what are you doing? Like, it, this place fucking sucks. We talked about it before. It's just going on and on and on yeah. in Craster's Keep. And Rast just fully leaning into the depression now. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, they're having like a funeral for a guy who died. 
Uh, this and and now his watch is ended is said, which is one of the many times the. Uh, it's I think it's the only time that is said in this I, episode, but there are many meanings for that being the title of the episode, as is usual, as is usually the case. So somebody says, I didn't think a broken foot could kill a man. And Rast says, it wasn't his foot that killed him. That bastard Craster starved him to death. And we see a lot of tension start to be built here. Apparently, part of the reason they don't leave Craster's Keep is because they don't have any food. So they wouldn't survive to make it back to Castle Black. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That we finally get some reason for why they're, why they're here, which made me happy. I was like, thank God there's some reason that they're still staying at this Well, fucking- then in a minute we get, they talk about, they got injured guys too. Yep. They're trying to let some people heal up. Yeah, later that night, uh, back in the roast circle, as I'm calling it now, <laughs> Craster's sitting in his roast throne and uh, he informs Mormont that he just had his 99th son, which we have to assume is Gilly's baby, right? Yeah. And uh, Mormont references what you just said, that they'll leave as soon as their wounded are strong enough, and Craster's like, dude, those guys are as strong as they're going to get. Just slit their throats and be done with it. The fucked up thing is, what, why is Craster out here admitting that he has 99 sons? There's no sons anywhere around. So there's no... He doesn't give a fuck at this point. Like, I think he's, they are so beholden to him that he knows he can say whatever he wants, and there's nothing that any of them can do about it, or so he thinks. Because... What are they going to do? They have nowhere else to turn. This is the only guy that can keep them alive. Yeah. But it is weird. Okay, here's the other thing. He said something about like, this is his 99th son, right? But then he has more daughters than he can count? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean? You could count to 99, but you can't count the 24 <laughs> daughters that are around the room? Because we can see there's not 99 of them. There's clearly less than 99 of them. I, yeah, I don't know, man. Unless Who knows just, how, how long he's been doing this? Maybe he just kills them when once they hit. That's a good once point. Once they turn. Yeah, 30. I don't. I don't know. But I'm just saying, it didn't appear at any point at Craster's Keep that there were more than 99 daughters. And if he could count the 99 for the guys, you could think he could do it for the girls. It's a very intense scene. Uh, this whole thing obviously goes very sour, very fast. One of the new lunatics that we've been been introduced to, this brand new, super evil looking guy, Crazy Carl. Is that what you're calling him? Yep, crazy. Is his, is his name Carl? Uh-huh. No way. Yeah. Oh, dude, yes. <laughs> With a K. So yeah. he's, he's, you know. Crazy Carl crazy snaps. Carl. The roast circle's too much for Crazy Carl, and he fucking stabs Craster up through the chin. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, here's the thing. Aside from Rast and Carl, you know, going super psycho and killing Mormont as well here, I'm with I'm oh, with yeah. them. I'm oh, with yeah, them. absolutely. Like, this Craster dude has to go, man. The the note I made is that the big takeaway I missed the first time through watching this and any of the other times I've watched it, I never really got that these men have been pushed to the brink yeah. by starvation and yes. cold, yep. and they're mentally broken. They are eating bread, which has been which has like sawdust instead of flour, basically. Right. Yeah. Not basically, like that's yeah. for real what they're eating. But uh, yeah, so it's... They are very validated in their actions to Craster. Now, like you said, it goes way too far, and they end up killing Mormont, too. Mormont yells out, the gods will curse us for this by all the laws, and then uh, he gets stabbed by dipshit. What's his name? I think that one's Rast. Or no, Rast. Rast or Carl? Yeah, Yeah, no, Rast. Rast Rast. does it, yeah. Says, there are no laws beyond the wall. Uh, Carl grabs one of the wives and says, now show us where he hides the food, or you'll get the same as he did. That's when Mormont draws his sword, and Rast stabs Mormont through the back. A full-blown brawl breaks out. I guess there's two sides, the crazy Carl and Rath side yep, yep. and the Mormont side. It, it, there's got to be a point where I don't even know who's fighting who. Right. 
Sam bails to find Lily or Gilly <laughs> while the sword fighting fighting is breaking out all around them. Uh, Mormont puts in a good effort here. He gets a good choke in. Yeah, but it's not enough. But it's not enough. He spits up blood and he keels over and dies. And then Rath stabs him like... We see three stabs, but you have to assume there's a couple dozen more he off just, camera here. Yeah, he went really just full murder, murderer. Yeah, Rast is a dick. Gilly leads Sam out of Craster's Keep and into the forest, and somehow Rast is aware of this. As he comes outside, he yells, Run fast, piggy, and sleep well. I'll be cutting your throat one of these nights. Which, classic Rast. Mm. <laughs> and uh, that that concludes the chaos of Craster's Keep. It is now fully in the hands of radical... Extremists. Night's Watch yeah. extremists. <laughs> that's, what you, that's what we're going to refer to them yeah, as. Mm-hmm. Back on the road with the Brotherhood Without Banners, these guys hit the uh, Brotherhood Without Banners headquarters. It's a secret, like, cave Mm -hmm, thing. mm -hmm. It's pretty tight. And Beric Dondarrion comes out. They're drinking blackstrap rum. Yeah. Wait, because which I guess I don't know what that means. It's take, like the, the strong. It's like Everclear. Yeah. Of rum. The takeaway was that they don't have any molasses because it's wartime. Molasses would make the rum sweet, I believe. So Sweeter. He's just crushing. So it's just really like super hard alcohol. Um, his name is slipping my mind at the moment. The man with the Thoros. Thoros is an alcoholic. Right. Thoros has a very serious drinking problem, <laughs> and we're not really aware of that yet. But we are in season seven. Like, we see later that he's just drinking nonstop all of the time and mm-hmm. is a drunken nut. But this is the beginning of... Thoris has quite a tolerance. He's just crushing this, whatever it's called, rum. Blackstrap? Blackstrap. Blackstrap. We should uh, make a rum company called... Didn't call it Blackstrap yeah, Rum, because no that's tight. Yeah. So, Bar- Copyright. 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 Copyright Blackstrap Rum. Dar- 2018. Barry Dondarrion comes out, and we are reminded... That he was, we were basically told here why the Brotherhood Without Banners exists. That Beric was ordered by Ned Stark to execute the Hound's brother, the Mountain, in King Robert's name. That's why he's leading this group of men. But then it kind of turned into a situation where, as he puts it, Lannister, Stark, Baratheon, you pray on the weak, the Brotherhood Without Banners will hunt you down. Also mentions being reborn in the light of the one true God which, as we find out, is the Lord of Light. So mm-hmm. these guys are all on the same page in religion as yeah, yeah, that's, as uh, the Red Woman. That is what... Yeah, I think that's what we're supposed, supposed to think. Well, it, it is. Okay. Bec- and it gets taken even further in an, in an upcoming episode. I believe it's the next episode, okay. actually, where uh, they meet with Melisandre. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, shit's wild, though. Yeah. Uh, other members of the Brotherhood are yelling all these accusations at the Hound, that he's a murderer, that he murdered babies. Do you think we have a Sam teeth situation going on with the Hound? You think they gunked up his teeth a little bit and then they don't in the later seasons? I don't know what's going on with his mouth, but something is going on. <laughs> I kept staring at it. It looks like, you know how... In Be the, on the lookout. In well, the show we, Mr. Ed, how they used to make the horse talk uh-huh. by putting peanut butter in yep. his lips. <laughs> The hound's got something weird going They're on. They're doing here, man. that to him. I don't know what it, I don't know if that's what it is, but I was just totally weirded out by the entire. Okay, hound well we're mouth. we're now on we're on Sam Teeth Watch and we're on Hound Teeth Watch now too. Lots of teeth. Yeah, they they bring up the Targaryen babies being murdered, uh, which the the hound insists he had never had anything to do with this. He never saw the Targaryen babes. He never smelled them. Never heard them bawling. 
they're trying to pin something on him for which they can execute him, essentially. Yeah. But they, but I guess according to their religion, they need to get him to admit to something or they need a direct witness, which they do not have either of, which is presenting a problem, which is why they're going down this laundry list trying to get him to own up yeah, to he something. Yeah, doesn't, he does not admit to anything, any of the wrongdoing basically in the sack of, the, of, of King's Landing during... Robert's Rebellion. That's right. what all with killing all the Targaryen babes and and yep. doing all that rape and murder and stuff like that. Um yeah. Arya points out that he murdered Micah. But Arya does know about somebody the butcher's that he murdered, boy. the butcher's boy. And you're like, "Oh Micah. shit. Okay, this is going to stick." But it doesn't because the hound again puts up a good enough argument. He says that he was in service of the prince who is he to question an order from a prince or whatever? And Beric is like, oh, God damn it. I sent it to you to trial by combat. He's like, we don't have enough evidence for any of this shit. So this is the next step. So we'll let the gods decide. Yeah, a trial by combat. Here, okay, here's... I think I talked about this in the most recent season uh, when we were doing the podcast, but Beric Dondarrion just has the best voice. I, w- I just want him to narrate shit. I just want him to narrate everything. We need to get that guy on Planet Earth season three to narrate stuff. The his the, voice has like that timber, you know. Yeah, he's it's a, like he's you unbelievable. Can, you can't. It's like not really something that you can imitate because it's like a. It's just this vocal thing that you have, but he sounds like Optimus Prime. You and I could not do a impression worthy of no, Derek's voice. No. Um, super tight though. I will say this on our Instagram page: clams and cockles. That's our Instagram handle, right? At clams and cockles. At clams and cockles. There's a video way back in the day we posted of Beric, the Hound, and Jorah like singing together in a little band <laughs> on set, like by their trailer. And it is forever Beric will be in the same ballpark with those guys for me in terms of lovable characters. Like he's as even getting much less screen time than the Hound and Jorah do, he's so likable. Oh, cool. our Instagram is oysters, clams, cockles. Oh, I suck. Oysters, clams, cockles. <coughs> I our, should know that. Our Twitter is at clams and cockles. It's all very confusing. Instagram, oysters, clams, cockles. Go give it a follow. Thank you, Barrett. So, Barrett lets the hound know it's him that he's going to have to fight in this trial by combat. And the hound is very concerned about this. He goes from like mocking all these other guys. He's like, what about you, Archer? Are you going to fucking throw down with a sword? To being like, oh shit, I got to fight Beric. So Beric must be pretty good. Must be a pretty renowned fighter. Although he does look like he's in terrible shape. Yeah, No depth perception either. No, yeah. One <laughs> eye. That patch presents a problem. Uh, question. Based on this scene and the way it unfolds, and based on what we know about season seven, where the hound approaches his brother and says, you know what's coming for you, you've always known. And us asking, what the hell is he talking about? Is he talking about Beric? Because Beric is the one who's been sent by Ned to take out the mountain. Yeah, yeah. And he is, appears to be still on that path. Like, he still very much wants to complete that mission at this point, in the name of King Robert or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just makes me wonder if we're going to see a Beric versus the mountain situation at some point. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know either. Over in Astapor, Danny meets with Master Crassness again. Uh, and what... what the, the beginning of this meeting, 
she's like, look, man, I understand that you don't want to give me all these unsullied. At the very least, let's get these guys some Lisa mattresses. She's <laughs> like, if you're going to do slavery, if you're going to keep these unsullied, we've got to go to lisa.com slash dragon and get these guys some worthy beds to sleep on so that they're at the full strength when they go fight. <laughs> Micah doesn't even have a <laughs> Micah doesn't even have a microphone to do the dragon. Dragon. And and dragon. we're in the pool house. So not when, not only does Daenerys not stand for slavery, she does not stand for bad night sleep either. Exactly. And that's why she's getting all of the unsullied, all eight thousand of them. Lisa mattresses. Lisa mattresses. Yeah, and we don't stand for bad sleep either. Go to Lisa.com, L-E-E-S-A dot com slash dragon. Dragon. Check out Lisa Mattress today. Barrett and I both sleep on the Superior by Lisa. There's actually one about three feet away from me as I speak right now that, that producer Micah sleeps on. That's where the magic happens is what I hear. It is, and it's disgusting, <laughs> and I don't feel comfortable being this close to it, but <laughs> nonetheless, it is a fantastic mattress, as are the Lisa Mattresses. Uh, the Superior, as I said, great as well, but... I promise you, this will be the best sleep you've ever gotten. You're not going to be disappointed. No. And if you go to lisa.com slash dragon, you save a bunch of money when you order, and you get a free pillow of $75 value. All good things. As Pillows, the money, fam. sleep. That's what life is about. Those three things. Those three in things. that order. Yeah. Pillows, money, and sleep. Check out lisa.com slash dragon today. They've also got blankets, a ton of other good products. Dragon. Big friends of the show, Lisa. Check them out. Get yourself. And it's time to upgrade. Your mattress stinks. <laughs> and everybody knows it. And so do you. Go to lisa.com slash dragon. So, after they get past that, Danny, uh, I have a question. Is this her hottest scene yet? Yes. Okay. And again. Uh, okay. Okay. Look, I don't even like saying this, but again, no pun intended. <laughs> I mean that from an attractiveness perspective. Uh, she, okay. All right. I'm going to. Okay. I don't know if I can say it's her hottest Seen yet because back in the day when she's in all that Dothraki garb, dude, I don't know. That's this, pretty. I think that's this, pretty. That's pretty hot. This but stomps that out, dude. She is, she is the most well put together we've seen here. I paused to to make a note of something else, and I just happened to hit pause right when Danny popped up for the first time in this scene, and Taylor, my wife, was like, "Wow," because she was that. Just looks that hot. Yeah, she looks fantastic here. Yeah, she's all she's cleaned up. She's got the hair on point. Oh yeah, it's all braided just she, perfectly, just so. Just from the way the she dress, looks, you're like, the, yeah, this is gonna be a big scene. Yes, like you can tell from yeah. she's glowing yeah. with with power and beauty. So, she comes out to meet Krasnus. She lets Drogon out of this cage dragon cage thing she's created and has him on like a chain and she hands this septon with a chain on it to Master Krasnus. In exchange, he gives her the whip that controls the Unsullied and proclaims the bitch has her army because he's an idiot <laughs> and he just can't keep his goddamn mouth shut. Uh, Danny starts all of a sudden ordering the Unsullied in Valyrian and yet Krasnus somehow doesn't notice then? Because he's, he's occupied. He's like, tell this bitch her dragon won't come. Muy occupado with the dragon. And then she turns and says in Valyrian, a dragon is not a slave. And he's like, oh shit, she speaks Valyrian. And, yeah. he, and then he says, you speak Valyrian? This is such a, this is an, I mean, this is one of the, my favorite scenes ever in this show. It's 
the reveal, the drop that she actually that she speaks Valyrian and has heard everything that he said. It's probably the best scene we've gotten up to this point. Control uh, all around. Uh, te- just testing out the Unsullied is pretty. Oh it's pretty epic. Just like because there's so many of them. This could have gone so horribly wrong. It's an all-in moment for Danny, where she's like, "You know what? Fuck this guy. Fuck all this shit." Fuck the rules of slavery. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out if I can actually do this whole thing <laughs> or I'm going to go down in flames right here. Yep. And she fucking goes all in and drops, I am Daenerys Storborn of the House Targaryen of the blood of old Valyria. Valyrian is my mother tongue. Turns to the Unsullied and says, slay the masters, slay the soldiers, slay every man who holds a whip, but harm no child, strike the chains off any slave you see. And Missandei's face is like, oh yeah. <laughs> It's like, pick the right side. This is all going to go really well for me. And then she drops the, what, the second, the third Dracarys we've heard, I think. Yeah. Number three, I believe. I think three. Because I think she gave one to cook the meat with yes. Little Bitty Dragon. Yeah. One to cook Pyat Pri. Yeah. And now one to cook... Krasnus. Uh, Krasnus. Master Krasnus. So we get a, a Jakaris, and then the Jakaris sound effect that's like the sound out of Inception. It's mm-hmm. like... And then he gets flamed. Then Drogon is just like, well, this is tight, and just starts flaming all <laughs> kinds of shit. Like, uh, this is the beginning of the, like, how does she control the dragons question? Because he's, like, flaming down a line, perfectly flaming all these mm-hmm, different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Danny gives this incredible speech. Unsullied, you have been slaves all your life. Today you are free. Any man who wishes to leave may leave. No one will harm him. I give you my word. Will you fight for me as free men? And there's no response, and it's kind of like this awkward pause. You're like, oh, shit. Then there's this one guy who starts tapping his spear, and then they all start tapping their spears. It's basically a slow clap, mm-hmm. but with spears. And it's very, very moving and powerful, and Jorah smiles like, fuck yeah, she did it. Yeah. And then they leave Astapor with the army. She drops the whip into the sand. The Unsullied symbolically crush it trample beneath it. their feet trample it. as they head out. And the three dragons fly overhead, and the episode ends right there with us being like, holy shit, that just happened. So this scene, when the the dragon flames this row of stuff, yeah. and it all goes up in flames, and they do this pan like across, yeah. like right up just from her bust, and you see everything go up in flames, this led to one of the better Game of Thrones gifts ever, where they took the little deal with it, 8-bit little sunglasses oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, come yeah, yeah. on. <laughs> Which is like an OG meme at this point, but still one of my favorites. Now, when you said her bust, you mean in a sculptor way, yes. like from the chest up. Because yeah, I, I was thinking like we got a titty shot no, that no, no, went no. straight to flames. I just meant like the portion of her that we see of her. It shows where, up, where my mind is at, mm. is what that shows. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, it's... We get that. We got that little thing with the 8-bit glasses dropping down on her. And it just comes across and says, deal with it. Yes, and it's it's super badass. I'm, we'll okay. tweet it out. I'm I'm trying to. What I'm thinking here, hindsight's twenty twenty. Obviously, it is. they say that. I would say that this episode feels like maybe the first time where Game of Thrones, where the show is like, "Hey, here's your protagonist." Like, hey, this is this is who you're rooting. This for. is who you're rooting for. Yeah, I think we. Had probably gotten that feeling about Danny at different times already, but this is the nail in the coffin, pretty much. And she was 
so far it's just been kind of like journey for her. Yeah. We don't she hasn't really achieved anything up until this point. We don't really know if she's got what it takes. Like we're like we like her. It could be argued. But I don't that think the the sh- I, the show hasn't basically given us anything until this point to where it's like, yo, this is your, this is player number one. Now. The the only other moment that compares to me is when she walks into the fire of uh, of Cal Drogo's funeral pyre, yeah. pier, whatever yeah. it's called, because that is a everything else has been given to her or forced upon her in mm-hmm. some way up until that point. Yeah. Then she has the bravery to go in and basically gets those dragons out of it. Yeah. Not basically, that is what happens. This is the, only, the the first other moment where she was like, fuck this, and she did something that created for herself. You know what I mean? Like, this yeah. is all stuff she is singularly responsible for, which is great. It's It was... I'm trying to think of an episode we have watched so far, so up until season three, episode four that ends as powerfully that is not a 9 or 10. Yeah, there's de- there definitely hasn't been one yet. Like this type of shit is usually this is a saved this is the for... end of season type stuff usually yeah. is is something uh, something like this. What is what is the word for the episode before the penultimate? God, I, <laughs> my brain is mush. Yeah, but, this was like a penultimate ending kind of, yeah. But in the middle of the season, just yeah. out of nowhere. I mean, it was pretty it's pretty pretty great great ending for mid-season for sure i will also say for being in season three and having to do as much cgi as they did for this scene at no point did i notice like ah that's old school cgi yeah, no. mm-hmm. so they did a really good job yeah they did yeah and that was that obviously we will be back next monday to talk about the fifth episode of season three which is titled kissed by fire written by brian cogman and directed by alex graves who also directed this one uh other ways that this episode alluded to the title, which was, and now his watch has ended, mm-hmm. Krasnus, yep. his watch very much ended, mm-hmm. Mormont, obviously, mm-hmm. there's at least two, that's all I got. Yeah, I didn't, I, I, I had a kind of hard, hard, had a hard time putting together a bunch of me, double meanings for this title. Obviously, the one dude who died. Bannon, yeah, where who, they actually say it. Who Ed said, you know, oh man, his foot s- smells good. Oh yeah, <laughs> he wanted to eat him. Wanted to eat him. He's yeah. so hungry. And Mormont, Mormont's watch officially ended. Uh, unfortunately, it did. Uh, but yeah, I mean, because it's easy to just be like, oh well, people died. Yeah, they always do. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, if you've got a, uh, if you've got more meaning behind that, yeah, we're good. Call it in. Nah, don't even. <laughs> No, we're good. That was enough. Anyway, next Monday, Kissed by Fire. Follow us on Instagram at Oysters, Clams, Cockles, and on Twitter at Clams and Cockles. Like us on Facebook.com slash Oysters, Clams, Cockles. If you would, we would very much appreciate it if you've enjoyed the Night's Rewatch so far and you have not already. We will forgive you now if you go give us a five-star rating and write a quick review on iTunes. That's how we continue to grow the show and recruit more people organically for the Night's Rewatch. You can follow me, Ross, on Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at WRBolin on all three. Barrett, where can you be followed? You can hit me up. You can find me on the social mediums at Barrett Dudley. Barrett Dudley. I didn't see that coming. Mm -mm. I thought it was going to be something crazy, but (laughs) just at Barrett Dudley. 
Our hotline number is 866-43-CLAMS. Keep those coming in. I swear to God we will get to them, and we do listen to them all. It means a lot for everybody who's called in and given us theories or corrections. Uh, check out grandexshop.com slash OCC for Oysters, Clams, and Cockles-themed T-shirts and Game of Thrones-themed T-shirts to support the show. We've got some new ones up there. Also, support the podcast by checking out manoutfitters.com. If you use the code SUMAI, at checkout on manoutfitters.com. If you invoke Sumai, S-U-M-A-I, you get 15% off your entire order of over $150 along with free shipping. And right now on Man Outfitters, obviously winter is on the way out. Spring and summer are on the way in. So we have 50 to 70% off of a ton of stuff in the sale collection for end-of-season markdowns with stuff like Patagonia, Vineyard Vines, True Grit, Mizzen and Maine, and more. So when you go to manoutfitters.com, be sure to check out that sale selection and then tack on Sumai on the end of that thing. Save a bunch of money, get some new threads, look good for spring and summer. You can also go to rowdygentleman.com, which, Barrett, do you want to do you want to explain your involvement with Rowdy Gentleman? Can you invoke what, Sumai on rowdygentleman.com? I believe you can. That'd be tight. Um yeah, uh, RG, RowdyGentleman.com, go check it out. We do a lot of, uh, I mean, it's just like, it's like great weekend wear, you know? It's um, it's going to make you feel like you're on vacation, basically. That's 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 the vibe that we're after. The new season is uh, has some pretty awesome pairs of swim trunks, really good button-up Hawaiian-style shirts, uh, super cool hats, Put the a hats, lit, the put hats a, are unbelievable. Put good. a lid on that head of yours. Uh, you know, we're doing something a little bit unique with the with the rope style and the five panel and the mid crown, and it's it it's gonna look very good on your uh, on your dome there. Um, and Barrett, you help design. And I put do. These I help. I help. Together. I help design and and produce and source and creative direct the the line as a whole. So uh, support oysters, claims and cockles. Support me. Support the squad. Yeah, I've got some good news and some bad news. You cannot invoke Sumai on RowdyGentleman.com, well, but we I'm going to go we, ahead and we gotta, cheat. we got to fix that. I'm going to go ahead and cheat here. If you check out the Ross Boland podcast, which is my other show, which you can subscribe to on iTunes by searching for the Ross Boland podcast, I'll let you in on a little secret. <laughs> if you don't plan on doing that, stop the episode now. You don't get to know the <laughs> secret. But if you do plan on it, you can use the code EATFRESH, one word, at checkout on RowdyGentleman.com and get 10% off. Check out all the stuff Barrett put together for this spring. It is the best lineup we've ever had on RowdyGentleman.com. Very cool clothes, hats, tees, swim trunks. Get ready for the warm weather. Vacation forever. Use the code EATFRESH at checkout for 10% off. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, We'll be back on, on next Monday. And hopefully we won't be in this pool house. Maybe not. But maybe. Later.